Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? This is the feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with a man who inhales more statistics than I do. <laughs> Brock, how are you? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate it. How about yourself? I can't complain. Can't complain. Long, long day of work has come to a head, and uh, now it's time to get down to the to, to the actual business. Um, let's 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 start out with. Um, the, the, the Simmons injury, obviously, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk that it, we, we've heard that it's one thing that's pretty bad. Um, they, you know, they, they say today that it's something else. Um, and so, you know, it, what, what they say is that it, it's a, it's a, it's a nerve that is what, what impinged and a nerve impingement. And that can be caused by a variety of different things. Obviously the vagueness of the underlying cause is something that was intentional. I mean, it's pretty clear that it was intentionally put out there that, that you know, there, uh, you're all supposed to have the question, why, uh-huh. why is this happening? What happened? Um, and that's what, that's the way they wanted to hear it. That's the way, the way that they wanted to give that information to us. So, you know, all we can do is sit and sort of wait for the next update, um, which will come in, you know, two weeks, re- re- be reevaluated, and then it'll be two more weeks. And then what do you know? It'll be swept in the first round, 4-0. And then it won't matter. Um, um, now, I, I do. I do want to dive into um, first your reaction to the whole situation. How 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 does it strike you when you think about this? Uh, do you mean the injury impacting the team, or the way the team announced the injury? Just your first thought that comes to mind. Uh, well, my first thought that comes to mind is that Ben Simmons is the most valuable player on this team, and he can do more things on a basketball court than you can count on your hands and feet. And the Philadelphia 76ers are going to lose a lot without Ben Simmons. And one of the questions that you asked me prior was, what do you think their ceiling is without Ben Simmons? And I think they're relegated to a much worse basketball team without him. Uh, you, 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 you lose a player on offense that can initiate so many things. If they grow stagnant in the half court, there's always the option of Ben Simmons just driving which it seems like nobody else on the team can do as efficiently as Ben Simmons. He can get to the basket at will, and he's one of the most absurd players in the league where defenders know what he can do and can game plan based upon what he can do, and yet there's no solution to stopping him. You can neutralize him, but he's stopped very so often. 
he's a player that can manage an offense. He can dictate where players go on offense. He can collapse defenses. He has the most assisted three-pointers in the NBA. So he's great at creating open looks for his teammates. And that's just on the offensive end. Now, Brett Brown spoke uh, during the game against Milwaukee when they were trying to manage Ben Simmons, which was also confusing because I think the way that it was put during the broadcast was that Simmons was go to, going to the locker room in between the times when he was on the floor and off and he'd get treatment. Uh, and after the first time he exited the game, he never came back. But I think Brett Brown was incorrect in saying that Ben Simmons is is more impactful defensively and, and offensively they'll be able to, they'll be able to compensate. I think he was incorrect in saying that. Now, defensively, of course, you lose your anchor and your DNA on the, the defensive end, and he's going to guard the opposition's best player, and he, he's solidified his case for defensive player of the year. But offensively, I just think he's so valuable and so impactful that you really can't manufacture a point guard off of the bench, and you can't really recreate what he does offensively. Yeah, I, I, I would I would agree with you. Um, well, first of all, I didn't even know about that Brett Brown comment. So that's a pretty asinine comment to me. It just sort of it puts a whole bow on the tenure. Like how, like, how can you be so oblivious as to what Ben Simmons brings on the offensive end? Right. Like, you don't have a single player on this roster that could remotely compensate for what you lose in terms of his ability to create shots for others. And it's going to reflect that when they just inexplicably forget how to shoot at home too. Yeah. And you're going to realize like, oh wait, it's because they don't have their best facilitator and best passer to hit them right in the right right in their you know in in, in their um their, their their point of catch um on on, on the um on the perimeter, and so that's going to be a, a huge thing for me. It's to be quite honest, it's it's the defensive end that I think is going to be like where we're going to be like, holy shit. The people who I shouldn't say that we people who don't realize how great Ben Simmons is as a player, people that you know, think he's expendable, I think that's gonna, that's gonna be where people are like, well, wait a minute, why is this guy getting all these buckets all of a sudden? And then, and then it's like, oh wait, we just lost our best perimeter defender for an extended period of time, and that's why that's happening. Um, so that that that's sort of where I fall with it. I think um, you are absolutely correct. Ben Simmons is this team's most valuable player, at least for this season. Right. Um, what he's done on both sides of the ball. I mean, he's averaging like 17, eight and eight or like 17, eight and seven while also playing defensive player of the year type uh, defense. And if he were to win that, that, um, that, that award, which I think he that kind of puts him out of the running now, um, he would be the first player in NBA history to average 17, eight and seven at least while winning the defensive player of the year award. That's the kind of player we're talking about. Exactly. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's an absurdly underrated loss. Um, and I don't even know that we could say that it's an under underrated loss. Like I just said, I, I think it's just a loss that we don't understand how like we, we think we know how big it is, but we don't truly understand how big of a loss this is until they lose games that they need to win because they don't have him there. You're absolutely right. And there are certain factors you can look at statistically, like the Sixers offensive rating altogether is 108.4 with Ben Simmons on the floor. It increases slightly with him off the floor. It's 104.8. So you lose a couple of points per possession without Ben Simmons, but things like that 
aren't necessarily translated when you watch games, right? So, so you're not thinking of offensive rating when you watch basketball games. You, you, you look towards those things after to prove points or supplement your points. But when you watch basketball games, there's just so many things he does. He's, he's a prolific basketball player. There are so many things he does on the basketball court that you can't recreate. And I don't care if he's doing it at the point guard position or the point forward position. As I alluded to, he's one of the most absurd players in. You can understand that Ben Simmons isn't going to be a threat from 12 feet out shooting the basketball. And yet, there's only so much you can do to neutralize him. But he's the type of player where if he's in transition, he's arguably the best player in the NBA. If you relegate him to a half-court offense, he's still going to create opportunities for his teammates because of the gravity he has on the floor. And it's funny to talk about gravity with a player that neglects shooting the basketball from beyond the arc or within the perimeter, but he always needs defensive attention. And normally it's the opposition's best opponent that's defending him. And if it's not, it's one of their two or three best. And on the other end of the floor, like I said, he is always defending the opposition's best player, regardless of position. Now, prior to the All-Star break, Ben Simmons had four and a half deflections a game almost, which was second most in the NBA, 200 deflections total, which was the most in the NBA, 55 defensive loose balls recovered, first in the NBA, 2.2 steals per game, first in the NBA, and 115 total steals, also first in the NBA. Now, those can seem like empty stats, of course, to some people because a lot of people don't comprehend things like that. And then you look towards the other players he's defended, and he held Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, and Pascal Siakam all each to under five and a half points per game individually over the course of multiple games. Bradley Beal, LeBron James, DeMar DeRozan, Trey Young, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, John Morant, Kyrie Irving all combined for 21 shots made against Ben Simmons. Out of 75, that's 28% from the floor. Now, this is a guy, of course, uh, of course it is. He's not a rim protector, so he probably won't get the benefit of the doubt. But in comparison to the league's best defenders, Ben Simmons is right there. Anthony Davis held his opponents to 38% from the field. Kawhi Leonard held his to 39.6. Rudy Gobert held his to 40.1. And Ben Simmons was right there with them with 41% from the field. So he's among the top four best defenders in the league. Opponents shot 25.5% from three when Kawhi Leonard was defending them. When Ben Simmons defended them, it was 35.2%. And I think a lot of people look towards Kawhi Leonard as the defensive player of the year because Kawhi Leonard has the merit and he's a household name. So if you're a casual NBA fan, the default answer would most definitely be Kawhi Leonard, defensive player of the year. But Kawhi Leonard, A, is load managed frequently, and B, isn't usually tasked with defending the opposition's best player, at least this season. He hasn't defended a good player for a significant amount of possessions this year, and that's juxtaposed by statistics. Ben Simmons, however, has guarded plenty of guys for a handful of possessions. And when I compare that to other people like Rudy Gobert, the only two significant names that Rudy Gobert has defended a player for over 65 possessions is Nikola Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns. They're, they're both averaging over 14 points per game against him in at least two games. Guys like Jimmy Butler, Tatum, Siakam that I said Simmons held them to under 5.5 points per game, that was over the duration of at least three games, 65 possessions each. So he's defending the opposition's best player more often 
then these other players in DPOY discussions are defending the opposition's best player, and he's doing it at an incredibly efficient rate. Now, having said all of that, you're going to lose a lot defensively, but I think you can kind of make up for it in parts. If you kind of rearrange scheme and maybe a team is cold one night, you can get the benefit of the doubt defensively, but offensively, I think people are really underestimating how loss, how impactful this loss is going to be. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great point. And I, I, I think you, you, you make a really interesting point with like, you know, we all, we, we all talk about the defense and, and that they can, you know, they can sort of hide that impact. And I think you, they can, because like this reinvigorated version of Joel Embiid is now like, it's like, meet me at the rim every time mm-hmm. with, with him. And so like when, so like when, when Furkan or Josh or Tobias inevitably gets beat, um, you know, on, on the drive and beats there to like deter them at the rim and it saves you the possession. Um, so that's, that, I thought that was a really good point. I think another, another point that like you made, but you sort of didn't like, like, like the, way, the way that you, the way that you said it, I didn't think gave that enough credit. And I'm not like saying like it, it wasn't bad or anything. No, go ahead. But like, like, it's not even that by accident that those other players aren't aren't defending the best player on the opposing team. Their coaches are putting them in a position where it's like they're 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 getting the ability to like be put on a lesser offensive player, so they don't have to expend a ton of energy and risk injury, or you know, or, or they or they or they can you know be the leader on the offensive end. Every night, Ben Simmons is tasked with the best player on the other team and shutting him down. And he's responded every single time. Well, to your point, so, let me interrupt you. And, and I hate quoting Spike Eskin, but I'm <laughs> going to. And Spike Eskin tweeted it, and a lot of people misconstrued the meaning of the tweet. But Ben Simmons – I'm shocked that someone misconstrued the meaning of the Right. Ben Simmons has played at least 37 minutes in a game 18 times this year, according to Spike Eskin. Giannis Antetokounmpo has played at least 30 minutes, 37 minutes rather, in one game this year. Now, people misconstrue that point in, in, in saying, well, it's because the Bucks are this good and he doesn't have to play in the fourth and their margin of victory is 12. It's one of the high. That was the point. The Bucks are so good around Giannis Antetokounmpo that he's not even needed in the fourth quarter. Whereas Ben Simmons has to play at least 37 minutes time and time again because he's relied on so heavily, and that's a it's a, a phenomenal phenomenal um, point there for that, and and I think what that is a testament to. That's something that we'll dive in um, in, in in a little bit. Uh, get we'll, we'll sort of make like a beeline back to that. Um, but what what I what I do want to talk about next um, is the first game out of the All Star break with out Ben Simmons. Um, Brett Brown elects to start Neto, and you know, it, it, on paper, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, 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 this is why everyone thinks you're the worst coach ever. Yada yada yada. Chaos ensues. I actually thought it was a really, really, really br- a smart decision by Brett Brown because do you like, 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 like you don't need a player such as Alec Burks or someone who isn't a, a facilitator first or an experienced crafty passer to, to, to be in the way of Joel Embiid. You, you want to establish Joel Embiid early in that Brooklyn Nets game and you want to get him 
every look, just like, like in and over and over again, get him engaged. And I thought that was a strategy, and, that, and I thought that made sense with going with Neto, and it paid off because he had 13 of the first 15 points or whatever it was in that, in that game. Austin, I agree with you completely, and I, I, I'm one of the most critical people uh, when it comes to Brett Brown and his decision-making, uh, but I think this is the right decision too. So Josh Richardson has played nearly 9,300 minutes in the NBA. 3% of those minutes are at point guard. Shake Milton has played over 600 NBA minutes. 5% are at point guard. Alec Burks has played over 10,000 minutes. And 8% are at point guard. Uh, I think this decision was solely predicated upon his quote too. We'll try to manufacture a point guard off of the bench. The 76ers don't necessarily have a backup point guard, and oftentimes people argue they don't even have a point guard in general. Ben Simmons should be the point forward. Now, I don't think Trey Burke is the solution here. Of course, you have a zone-busting, shot-creating point guard that can take a defender off the dribble, but Austin, you raise a brilliant point. Without your offensive DNA, which is usually Ben Simmons, you need to establish Joel Embiid, and the Sixers have done that beautifully post-All-Star break. So the Sexers take the player with the third-best assist percentage on the team in Howell Neto and deploy him at point guard. Now, of course, people look at his plus-minus or his offensive-defensive rating, his net rating, and get angry. But in my opinion, this is something that statistics don't really indicate. You're not looking for Howell Neto to fill your box score or be an efficient player you're using him for the sole purpose of being a point guard. And that's what the Sixers are trying to do in the absence of Simmons. I actually really like Brett Brown's quote in trying to manufacture a point guard because it's tough. They're not necessarily working with point guards here. Alec Burks has poised dribbling the basketball. He can run a PNR, but he's not a point guard. Shake Milton has been developed nicely as a point guard, but even he too is more of an off-ball two-guard. Josh Richardson is playing more point guard, and he offers PNR flexibility as well. He's good at the mid-range. But he's admittedly not aggressive when he plays point guard. He's a little timid at the point guard position. And if you move Josh Richardson to the one and start him as your point guard, then who plays your wing? It's either Shake Milton or Alec Burks. If one of those two plays wing, then where's your offensive production coming off the bench? And if you're missing three out of your five starters, provided Tobias Harris didn't play, you really need a player like Howell Neto that's going to be selfless that can initiate offense by giving the best player the ball and getting the hell out of the way. Right. And it's, it's, it's so true. And I think people misconstrue the idea of like a point guard, like, oh, he can dribble, he can like conduct the offense. That doesn't just mean like okay, I I can pass with accuracy and be like within like one foot of the of, of my passing point. No, it's like you. The first look is it, you. See the, the point guard sees the, the the best look unfold as it's a right before it unfolds, and that's how he makes that snap pass to the open player. The point guard sees what he's looking for on the court, and he finds that, and and he, and he finds his, the player that he wants to feature in that possession. He always has a directive of where he's going to go with the ball and who he's going to, and who's going to give it to and has a goal with every pass. No, Shake Milton doesn't know that. Alec Burks, that's not in his DNA. The only player outside of Ben Simmons on this team right now who can do that 
I would argue like a little bit with with um with like Josh, but there's no question in my mind that on this roster as constructed, it's got to be Neto. And I thought that was the right decision at the time. Um, obviously, they win that game, although it was a shit show for like 87.9% of it. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to harp on that too long because it's, it's, it's trivial and, 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 you know, the main purpose of this podcast tonight. Um, let, let's, let's hop over to the, the, the Horford situation. Oh, and it, 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 it has gotten just so unbelievably bad. He had seven points last night. Um, that's, those are Mike Scott numbers, seven points. Um, and it just gotten to the point where you, you, you don't know what to do with him anymore. You just don't know what to do with him anymore. Um, it, 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 it makes no sense. I think Brett Brown has misused him a lot. And I do often wonder like how much better are Tobias Harris and, uh, Al Horford, if like a different coach is here. Cause there was a game, there was a play against the Bucks when, when it was like a pick and like, like a pick and roll split pick and roll pick and pop where it was like Horford pops out of the three point line and Harris and Harris like cuts like it, it should have been just a complete opposite because one just center the other one just small forward or power forward whatever, whatever you want to call it and it just made no sense um, and so th- that was like a thing where I was like okay the usage of Horford is questionable at best but there is little to no doubt in my mind that that th- this Horford thing is much more than just usage and misusage. I mean, even off the bench, he looks uh, dreadful. I mean, he's not hunting shots really at all anymore. The ones that were cash money a couple months ago are now like are, are now you're, you're not even sure if he's going to hit the rim. Um, his threes are are not even close right now. He he he's he's a a horrid horrid defender. Um, he gets beat off the dribble far too often. They turn the corners on him all the time. He gets he gets he gets blasted, and he gets, ends up committing a foul. He has regressed in every single sense of of the term, and thoroughly throughout his game as he regressed. And it's so it's so unbelievable to the extent like I almost believe that there's something else going on there. Like there's no way you can convince me that the player of his stature has lost his entire ability to play basketball in one off season. But here we are, it has gotten to the point where you might not lose any trade value just by not playing him anymore. Like, like, like I don't know that you're worse off that way. I, I don't know. I, I, I think at this point you're trying to just build his trade value, but I don't know that you're any worse off because every more, every, every minute he plays more, you get close. You, you you bury yourself more and more and more because people realize not only does he is he stink right now and throughout the season, his contract is also unpayable. It's like a nauseating contract, and it's gotten to the point where I began wondering tonight, like, are they really like? Has it gotten this bad that maybe O'Quinn or even um, uh, Pell are are better options at the backup center position? And so I did a little bit of a deep dive, and it turns out that uh, Kyle Quinn per 100 possessions actually has a better defensive rating than Horford, wow. and just and just one, um, uh, you know, a one-digit worse offensive rating. So <laughs> they, they they are getting dangerously close to the point where 
you're not sure if your one million dollar center is 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 actually worse than your thirty six million dollar center or twenty eight million dollar center. So let's examine Al Horford post All Star game. His offensive rating is one hundred seven point one. That's one hundred ninety five of three hundred forty five qualifying players. So that's middle of the pack. Now his true shooting percentage is thirty seven point six percent. Of 320-plus players to log at least 25 minutes, that's 10th worst of 320-plus players. His net rating is negative 10.6. For those of our listeners who don't know what net rating is, that's okay. It's a negative number, and it's negative 10, so that probably doesn't sound good. His defensive rating of 117.6 is worse than 250 players in the NBA including Carmelo Anthony and Michael Carter-Williams, both with a better defensive rating than him post-All-Star break. He's averaging 5.3 points per game, shooting 30% from the field and 16.7% beyond the arc on four three-point attempts per game. Now he's making over $20 million. This contract is an albatross. So it is a conundrum, and I think there's one solution. It doesn't come with a firing of the coach, it doesn't come with a different scheme. Elton Brand needs to invite Sacramento and their management, Detroit and their management, Washington and their management. Hell, the Redskins are poorly managed. Maybe they want in on this contract. And you need to sit them around a table, place a revolver in the middle of the table with Al Horford's contract papers in the revolver and play Russian roulette. Whoever it lands on has to take the contract. You can play spin the bottle. I don't care what game you play but you're going to have to get rid of this contract. It's depreciating. I don't want to give him the compliment of calling him a depreciating asset. And I know that sounds harsh, but Al Horford's play has been horrific. In his last 12 games, his defensive rating is 110.1, which is worse than his offensive rating, a negative net rating, and his true shooting percentage is worse than Albert Payton, Andre Iguodala, and Wilson Chandler in the last 12 games. This is a player that was advertised as a defender first. And Austin, you hit the nail on the head. His defense has been atrocious of late. And you, you, you advertise him as this Giannis stopper. And you're taking Joel Embiid's kryptonite off of Boston. And you're putting him on the Sixers. And he can mentor Embiid. And it'll be great in practice. All of this has been horrific. Al Horford has been horrific. And this season... He's on pace to set a career high for catch-and-shoot three-point attempts. He's at 222. This is his most since 2016. His career high came in 2015, which was 248. Right now, he's at 222, and yet he's shooting 32% on those catch-and-shoot opportunities. He's not a catch-and-shooter. He's not being utilized to shoot uh, off of pick-and-pops in the mid-range area. I think he, he is best of service to the 76ers team as a primary backup center, but even in that role, Al Horford is hurting this offense more than he's helping. And it's 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 getting worse by the day. You mentioned that he's you want to give him the credit of being a, a depreciating asset. Oh no, he he he's an appreciating liability, is what he he's <laughs> a growing liability game by game. And it's you are going to have an unbelievably hard time getting off that money. Unless you can find a team that's like, okay, we will we we will take on his contract. You have to make it worth our while, and we're gonna like we're gonna like hamstring you with how much you have to give up to get off that contract. 
And so that got me to thinking, well, what is the limit that I go to before I'm like, all right, you know what? Fuck it. We'll eat the money. Um, and you know, we'll just sit this out. We'll sit this through and maybe we can hopefully pray that like a, he finds a way to not age like dog shit. And then B like Embiid and Simmons can actually like stay healthy long enough where we can still play after this contract is up. And it got me to thinking, what would I, what would I give up? And I think at this point, if that pick for the OKC uh, that we that that the Sixers have, if that if that if that conveys, I think Brand's like picking up every phone he can find and is calling around the league like, hey, I will give you this pick. I'll give you next year's first. I'll give you the the I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I know they can't convey that to back right as a as a thing right. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you this pick. I'll give you 2022, 24, 26. I'll give you like a perpetual, a, a perpetually never ending array of, of first round draft picks. Just take this guy off my hands. And, and, and I'm not even sure that'll be enough. It wouldn't shock me. And this isn't like any kind of like info that I have. This is my guess that it wouldn't shock me if a team were like, okay. And we won Josh Richardson too. Uh, listen, I, I saw your tweet. And a lot of people disagreed with you, but I think you were absolutely right. Now, like I said, Al Horford was advertised as a, a Giannis stopper, a, a defensive improvement, somebody that's going to be a good a good voice in the locker room, a mentor. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, so now it's easy for people to get in the soapbox and say, I knew this signing was incorrect. I knew we should have spent this money or allocated it elsewhere. A lot of people were in on this Al Horford signing. An overwhelming majority, according to my social media. People were in on this signing. And now, of course, it's easy to look back and say, well, Elton Brand's at fault. He's, I'm with you. I, I don't really think Elton Brand is at fault. I, I don't think he's a horrible GM. Now, did this not work according to plan? As of right now, yes. And does that blame by default go to Elton Brand? Of course, he's the man that put this contract in, in, I guess, gave way to this contract. He's not the only one in this organization that greenlighted that contract, though. He, he wasn't okay. the only one in this organization that saw out Horford and wanted to pursue him. Now, during the luncheon prior to the season where Brett Brown invited the media, he kind of suggested the Sixers were going to run bully ball. And a lot of people took that quote and ran with it. The problem is it was taken out of context. If you read more into what Brett Brown actually said, he, he didn't meant they'd be the receiving of the ball. He, he, <laughs> that too. Uh, Brett Brown didn't necessarily say this team was going to be playing hard-nosed, old-school bully ball. It was more so, we have this size, and we're going to force teams to match size. So it, it, it's going to be less of get Al Horford and Joel Embiid in the post every possession, and more of, well, if Tobias Harris at small forward has a 6'3 or a 6'4 small forward defending him, we're going to get him the ball. Or if Ben Simmons at 6'10 has a 6'1 or a 6'2 point guard, we're going to get him the ball. But it wasn't going to be bully ball basketball. And given Brett Brown's history, there was nothing to suggest that. But a lot of people bought in on this idea of smash mouth bully basketball. And the Sixers aren't playing that way. They shoot a lot of threes. They shoot a lot of threes early in the shot clock. And this is also affecting their defense negatively because if you have three players running down the court and two are trailing not even past half court, 
You shoot a three-point shot. Now your defense is going to be displaced. You got guys still running back. Guys haven't even passed half court to get on offense. Now they got to get back on defense. Meanwhile, the other team gets a long rebound from the three just shot. So now they're in transition. So their offense is bleeding into their defense. And it's creating this chaotic offensive and defensive hellstorm at times. And I think the environment gets toxic with how people on social media watch and perceive basketball and how they all think they have the correct diagnosis for this team. But it's as simple as this. Al Horford was advertised a certain way, and the fit just doesn't work. Whether that be due to scheme or how Brett Brown's running him or, 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 or how he's integrated in the offense, it doesn't work. And now looking back at it, I, I'm still not even mad that they spent this money on Al Horford because it's not my money. So I could care less how they're using their money. But what bothers me looking back at it is that I don't know how this management thought it was a good idea to surround Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid with a player like Al Horford. I don't know if they thought they could buck the trend or they would outsmart 29 other teams in the NBA, but I, I just don't know how in watching these two players for years on end, you surrounded them with a player like Al Horford as opposed to a three-point shooter primarily. Yeah, and 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 I think that those are all going to be points that opposing GMs are like, hey, so um, you said you want to get rid of get rid of Al Horford. He has no value whatsoever to anybody right now. Um, you you have to pay us to take him off your hands, and it isn't like this is just going to work if, if if you can't find the right deal because he doesn't fit your system at all. And you, your window is closing fast, and so why don't you just give us everything that we want, and we'll and we'll, and we'll alleviate this burden on you. Yeah. And and, and whoever's whoever is making that phone call on the Sixers end, what can you say other than like, all right, sure, sure, just get me out of this. Like like there, it's that's how bad it has gotten, and that they it if if they don't move him now, my fear is that. That one signing will be what long term prevents this team from ever reaching its full potential because they won't have the money, or the the landscape of the NBA will change to a point where they're never on the same page as a franchise. And by the time this comes to an end, um, one of them, be it or Simmons, is gone, or one of them can't. One of them is is, is too often injured. Or whatever happens, the NBA they've now been like, uh, you know, they've fallen in like a middle pack where a lot of teams are better than them. This contract could be what kills the franchise, and ironically, it was thought to be the saving contract that was going to get them past the best team in the East. Um, so it, it it it's just unbelievable how, how how bad he's gotten, and I think I would give up just about anything a team asked of me. Outside of the obvious Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and like um, Tobias Harris, I mean, I I, I really would. I, it's gotten that bad, and I think with Josh, it's interesting and more plausible because I don't know that you have the cap space to sign him past the point of his expiration. Mm-hmm. So if you might lose him anyway, you might as well get rid of get the value back. That is having that open max slot when you get rid of Horford. I mean, also so, a week ago we were talking about Tobias Harris potentially for Buddy Heald, and now people think that Al Horford 
will be enough to get Buddy Heald. Or Al Horford will be the centerpiece in a trade for Bradley Beal. I need whatever those people are smoking because that would never happen. When I see that, I think like, what do you think other teams think? Like, oh, the Sixers fans will love this. Sure, we're all we're all happy for that. Like, no, these these other teams are trying to compete and win too. No one's going to give you Bradley Beal. A guy averages like what he's put up two fifty point yeah, games in the yeah, last week. thirty points a game this year. No one's going to give you Bradley Beal for, for for Al Horford and a bunch of like middle of the pack late first round picks. And any, if anyone did, they lose their jobs over it. So they have no incentive to do it to do it for you. This is not going to be an advantageous trade in any way. And as the time as, as the talk as the clock ticks, you are pinned against the wall even more and are losing more leverage mm-hmm. as, as you speak. And that's why this summer you got to move them. You you got to move them because if it gets worse, then there's nothing you can do. You're just stuck with them. That's dead cap space. The, you, I guess you could you could you could stretch and wave him. I guess you could do that. Do you really want to risk him going and playing for a rival, and then suddenly it's like okay, he's figured it out again, and then you got to deal with Horford in the conference? Um, it, I, I, I just, I just don't. I, I don't think there's any way this ends well if they if they don't move him this summer. Um, now let, let, let's move on to something that's a little less dramatically horrible, and that's the. Who is most accountable for the fuck up of a franchise that the Sixers have become? Um, I don't know that that they have made the right decision that wasn't so blatantly obvious, like cheating on an exam, obvious. Since, like, I I, I don't even know. I I don't even know. I, I would guess the trade that sent Butler to Philly for for Covington and Sharich was like that last move, but. Every decision they make is just horrible. I mean, Horford contract, atrocious. Tobias Harris, like, I think he's a very underrated player. I think he, he gets way too much shit. He's not worth LeBron money. He's not. Like, like it, it's ridiculous. The, then, then you have, like, the, the, the decision years ago of, of, of playing Embiid with a torn meniscus and like playing it off like it wasn't what it was, and then like oh yeah, two weeks later like, oh yeah, it's torn. And then thanks Derek Bodner for being the one to break it, instead of the actual fucking franchise that has doctors at their disposal to to find that out. Um, and now we have this Ben Simmons predicament, and this is where we get back to what you were talking about um, with I, I forget exactly what it was, but we, we were talking about like like like, like who's responsible for this. This is a top-down thing, not not a bottom-up. Like the player says it, and then they go to the X-ray machine. And it's like, oh shit, this is actually this is actually an issue. This is like the management of the 76ers is the most ridiculous, ill-equipped, incompetent group of individuals to ever be billionaires. Oof. I think I've ever heard of. I mean. They are pri- the, the, the owners are private equity businessmen. Yep, they're very, very, very smart businessmen for a reason. You don't just have a million dollars and then set and 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 then like and then like not lose it by being an idiot. That- like, like, like like you have you are they are smart businessmen, and perhaps to a fault, 
perhaps to a fault. They see it as a bottom line for their for their for their financial statements. They see it as a balance sheet and, and as an income statement and, and as all that stuff. This is running a sports franchise. You have people who have essentially, a, you know, a, a, I guess a spiritual take or a, a spiritual stake in the team because they pay money to come see them play. You have a, a, a duty and a, a moral obligation to the fans to at least be honest, but considering that they're the ones who come to see every single night and for, for God's sakes, like your fucking best player played as well as he does because the fans motivate him. I mean, it, he said as much. So you owe the fans that. And here they are trying to make us believe that, number one, that there were like these meetings in between the, the quarters against the Bucks, whatever it was, that, 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 that Ben was going to go back. Now, Brian says that was a real thing. Come on. Even if that is a real thing, what does that say about your medical management? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's asinine. Just don't fucking play the kid. Don't play him. He's he he's he's not gonna like cry about it and pounce like a little child. He if he's hurt and he says, Hey, this doesn't feel right, but I wanna play, say no 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 no. This is February. We're we're in the business of winning games in May. Like we like like, like we're gonna lose the Bucks. Everyone loses the Bucks by twenty five points. Sit this one out and and we'll get this thing going. You know, we'll 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 give you some time to just you know chill out a little bit, get back to us a couple weeks. No. They have pushed him to limits that even and, and it was so it was so unbelievable that we all thought he was like a robot. Turns out he's pretty fucking human, which is a, I know it's a shocker to everybody involved, but this is a product of incompetent management who only cares about their money, and a GM, a coach, and ownership that actually okayed the signings this offseason because if they had not spent the money on Mike Scott or James Ennis, who they traded for a second-round pick anyway. Trey Burke, Howell Neto, any of those fucking guys who aren't, or Kyle Quinn, any of those guys, if you had to spend that money and put it all together and, and like, purchase on the market a viable backup point guard, I don't think this injury happens. I, I don't. I, you're, you're, not, you're not playing ben, ben Simmons 40 minutes a game He's not having to constantly go a thousand, a thousand, a thousand miles per hour to keep you competitive in games, and I think it's a different story. This is a top-down thing that has it, it, it becomes from it, it, it starts with the guidance of the ownership and the mandates they've laid forth, which is to just make as much money as you can, lie to the fans, jeopardize the players' long-term health, just increase the value of this franchise so I can sell it eventually. Then the GM for actually concocting this whatever whatever roster this is and then the coach for not being stronger with his players and saying i don't give a shit what you say you're not playing tonight sorry you're not and i know it's a players league at some point you have to step in and say i'm the coach of this team you are a player on the roster if you want to go bitch and moan about it to to, to, to your agent or whoever sure i'm happy to take questions from them after the game the, my my job and your future are all a little more compromised by you playing in this game. And I don't think it was the Bucks game where it just all fell apart or the All-Star game when he fell on his ass. This has been building up for a while because it doesn't just happen to a guy who's in shape like that. It doesn't happen. You don't just pull a muscle and then, oh, two to four weeks, see ya. But that doesn't happen. It's 
this has been building up for a while. He's been hiding it well. And finally, it became too much for him. For lack of better term, Austin, I'm going to call what you just did podcast porn. And excuse my vulgar language there, but it was beautifully said. And you did the same thing last podcast. Now, I'm a big egg cook guy. I like to cook eggs. So sometimes when you're cooking eggs, scrambled omelet, whatever it may be, you may mess up in the middle. It may not look perfect. You might not trim the edge the right way, something like that. But when the final finished product gets on your plate, you look back and you say, well, I just cooked some good looking eggs. What you just did there was you brought up all these different points. You put them on a bulletin board, a, 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 an imaginative bullet board for me. And I just connected all of those dots to one central point, and that was top-down management. And in the midst of you talking, I looked up Josh Harris. In 2011, Harris bought the Sixers for $280 million. In 2017, the latest valuation was $800 million. Three years later... I think the team is over a billion dollars. It might be over $2 billion, if I'm correct. Now, they have one of the best attendance rates in all of the NBA, if not the best. Over the past couple of years, it's been consistently the best. This management is concerned with putting money in their pockets, and that's strictly it. So if you want to market this team, which they've been successful in doing so, that's going to be fruitful for you. If you want to create an environment where the players trust you and they're friendly with you and you can curse with them and hang out with them and bring them to the Super Bowl, that's good for you. It's good publicity for you. It's good to create this friendly environment. However, the trade-off is that you can't really establish a winning culture. And because of that, I think Brett Brown is also negatively affected. Now, he was a developmental coach in San Antonio. In San Antonio, Brett Brown was accustomed to winning. Why? Because of how their organization is ran. There, there, there's things that, that – there's external noise, but you barely hear anything internal with San Antonio. Well-disciplined players, they have respect for their coach, for their organization. This is viewed as you are a player – working for your employer. You're not a player hanging out with your friend. You're not a player kicking it. You're not a player. And it's what we talked about two or three podcasts ago. If Joel Embiid is going to be at the Super Bowl with his ownership, or if he's going to be hanging out at concerts with his ownership, that's fine. But it sends a message. If he doesn't want to get in shape, and yet the ownership will still indulge in, in, in treating him, then why should I have to do this? If Ben Simmons won't listen to his coach or, or, or won't do this because at the end of the day he'll be treated or put in a pedestal, why should I have to do this? And I hate to allude to a different sport, but I think about the New England Patriots in this situation. Their organization is ran by a guy that's, of course, money-hungry, but the, there is, is, is a type of relationship and environment there and a culture there where the primary focus of the organization is to hold up a trophy at the end of the year. That should be the only and the primary goal, objective of the organization to win in the sport, uh, achieve prominence in the sport, longevity, uh, merit, and the way you do that is winning. And I don't think there's a winning culture in Philadelphia. Now, 
you're going to ask if they win back-to-back consecutive 50-game seasons, they go to the semifinal. That's fine. But some of the problems that, that fans and the players alike have encountered this season is a byproduct of the environment and the culture in the 76ers organization. And I think it's because at the top, the ownership is concerned with putting money in their pockets and marketing this team, not winning primarily. The moment that you you have to ask yourself, or the people who you're, I guess, selling or buying the franchise from, people who, are, who have owned it before have to ask the question, before I sell this team, and I know it's just about getting the money and getting the fuck out, but the question becomes, are they in it for the money, or are they actually trying to make this franchise into a Fortune 500 company? Because if it's a quick, like, make my profit, get my return, get out, you're going to do more long-term damage to what you tried to build previously than you than, than, than you're going to build success with. If you look at the franchises that, like, oh, they're still young, they got, you know, they, they have time left. Oklahoma City. The uh, Rockets of the early 2000s. The Magic with Shaq. All of those teams were like, oh, you know, they're, they're getting the second round every year. The, you know, they're, they're going to get over the hump. That's not how it works. The longer you tread around the same platform, the more likely you are to not reach that next level. You have to take an organic step, and that organic step begins with the culture that's instilled from the people who own the franchise. That's not hanging out with your players, your employees at the Super Bowl. You don't often hear about regular employees going to going to events with their, with, outside of work with their bosses because that's not the kind of relationship you have. This isn't a buddy-buddy relationship. It shouldn't be that way. And the moment you let it get that way, the moment you're actually doing a disservice to the franchise and the player themselves. And the coach gets screwed over by it because if the players don't feel like they have to listen to the coach or if the players feel like they can just surpass the coach and go to the owner instead, you have a person you, you have a, a, a person in power who actually has no power and it can only be scapegoated from that point on. Right. So while while I think that Brett Brown while at times has really made it hard to justify his job, I don't blame him entirely or even really like half for, for, for all of this issue. I really don't. And I think it's I, I, I think it's unfair to do. And and and, and, I, and I do think that um this team would be best off in the future if they just decide to sell. Like they they, they it's it's not going to get better from here. It's not. You 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 got to sell because it's in the wrong hands right now. It's the wrong goals, the wrong purpose. And the tone that's been set from the bottom from the top down is Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid run the show here. This is their franchise. They listen to the coach. Um, Elton Brand is our puppet. This is about what they say. The reason that San Antonio works is because there's a fostered a level of respect between player and coach where the players feel like this is my boss, but at the same time I can have a cordial and 
nurturing relationship with him. Exactly. And that's why it works. There's no, Greg, Greg Popovich is not afraid of his players. He's not afraid to like bite back if they bite at him. And it's resulted in one of the greatest coaching tenures in the history of professional sports. And it again, it begins with the ownership setting the tone, the precedent for how the culture works, and then the players and the coach building a relationship of mutual respect, but an understanding of you're not above this and you're not above me. Our goal here is to win a championship, not to like, not not that to soothe your ego and make you feel like you're you know make you feel your value. Right, and and if if people disagree with the points that you've presented. There's a word I'm going to use, accountability. And if you think there's a lack of accountability with the players in the locker room from Brett Brown, then there's a lack of accountability with management. And that's juxtaposed by his eight near eight, I think it's seven or eight year tenure here in Philadelphia. This team has been riddled constantly by reoccurring problems. New problems don't arise. They've been recurring. Now, There's lack of accountability with players within the locker room, which Josh Richardson spoke on. There's lack of of accountability from their coach with regards to the players, and that's also seen when he dances around answers and is afraid to call people out in his post-game press conferences and things of that sort. And then there's lack of accountability with the organization and their coach. And Austin, I, I think what you said is exactly right. And the, the last thing that I'm going to say about it is that um, the, 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 this, this team, um, what needs to happen is, I mean, first comes a new coach. I, I think Brett Brown is probably gone this year no matter what um, at this point. Um, and then the, the, the Harris and, and whoever the fuck else owns the team, I don't even care anymore who owns the team. They're, they, they don't know what they're doing. Um then they got to make a move. And I think they want to sell. I really do. I think that there have been some hindrances in the way. Um, and I think not owning the Wells Fargo Center is a big talking point for them, that, that that's a big minus to the team's value, because that means you also have to, have to pay rent and for, for a, a contract with, with the owner of the actual arena, so that way you can play your games there. And that's a big, big minus for selling the franchise. Um, but... If I'm Ben Simmons and I'm his and I'm his management team, because I, I, I don't think this this is just an oh nerve impingement two to four weeks to see it then. No, I, I don't think it's that. I think if it is that, this is gonna be something that we hear about down the line that it's a lingering issue. I really do. And if I'm Ben Simmons, fuck the ownership. I'm sorry, Brett. I it, it, it's 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 gone too far. It's gone too far. Um I'm not jeopardizing my career. I'm getting that season ending back surgery. Now I don't know. If that's uh, you know from from what we heard today. I, I don't know that that's being discussed. But if it is, I'm not just going with some nice injections in the back and and power through it. I'm gonna take care of me because no one in this organization has proven that they care about taking care of anything other than their money. They don't. They clearly do not. Season after season, the player health defers to the product on the court for the sake of making money off the fans. And I guarantee, I, I don't, I can't guarantee it obviously, but the least surprising thing that would happen is as soon as this, as soon as the deadline passes for season ticket holders, 
to submit their to submit their their their, 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 their uh, you know contracts or guarantees, whatever it is. Then we hear what's actually going on with Ben Simmons, and then they make a decision about the long term with Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. And speaking I of season like, tickets, they raise the prices. Another fucking disgrace and a joke is that this no no one's enjoying this this year. No, we're, we this has been a painful last season to sit here and watch. I haven't had fun watching the Sixers since last year, and the most fun I ever had watching them was 2017, 18 because they were, all bets were off. It was house money. It was it was a, it was fucking great. It was a great time, and th- this team has given more anxiety to its fan base. Has made us contemplate everything about this team about, about its players more so than we should have ever had to do because of the process. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they raise tickets is just another blind showing that they have no relationship with the fan base to the owners. They have no pulse. And the only thing they're here for is their dough. And then it's skadoodle once it gets to a certain uh, total value in the long run. Um, before, before we, before, before we call it a quits for the night, let me ask you this. Let, 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 let's say the, that Ben comes back for the playoffs, right? And he's like back in April, he's available to play. You don't think he's going to be like a hundred percent until at least mid first round, right? Um, it depends on the, it, it honestly depends on the severity of the injury. And I think the gray matter really dictates that. Uh, so it depends what spectrum you're on. If you believe that this injury is truly what the public relations is saying it to be, then sure. He could be ready and at 100%. Um, back injuries are usually really more serious. Uh, and, and if you're on the other end of the spectrum where you speculate that this injury is, more serious than the organization is conveying it to be, uh, then no, he's not 100%. And in that in that case, it makes no sense for him to rush back from the injury and jeopardize his longevity for an organization that seemingly doesn't care about him. And so with that being said, what is their ceiling with like a healthy Ben Simmons? With a healthy Ben, ceiling, uh, a healthy ben Simmons, I think their ceiling is the finals without him. Um, I, I I think it's a first round exit. I, I don't know yet. I, I I think Embiid is good enough to will them to like a second round playoff series, but I think from then you're playing the Bucks and you're 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 going down at five against the Bucks. I mean, it won't it won't even be. A well, it depends. It depends on seeding too. So if the Raptors end up a two seed and the Sixers end up a four seed. Well, that that wouldn't happen. So it, it it would be it would be the rat if the Sixers are the four seed, it ends up being the yeah the butt yeah. If they get if they find a way to climb to the three seed, then it's the Raptors, and then you might be able to 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 to, to talk me a little bit into that. Not 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 enough, but a little bit. Um, with with Ben's here here's my theory about how this all works. With Embiid out for that ten game stretch. And Ben Simmons will be able to find his comfort. I thought they got all that much stronger when Embiid came back because they were conditioned to play without Embiid, and they all had to step up their game to 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 to, to maintain, you know, to to float essentially. Mm-hmm. Without Ben Simmons, they're going to have to do it again with Embiid elevating his game. If you bring Ben Simmons back at the right time and he's good to go, 
I think that can catapult this team forward. I really do. I think that, I, and I think you know, if you keep bringing Horford off the bench, um, that it, it it might get interesting. Without Ben Simmons, Embiid's gonna have to average like forty points a game to keep them in a first round playoff series, and it might get a six seven, and then they you know they they might get bounced, they might not. I would pick Joel Embiid over anybody to 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 win a first round series. After that, it's it's, it's well. So in the first round, let's say they play Miami. You're taking the Sixers without Ben Simmons over Miami, right? So I don't know. I I I I, I, I don't say that like just not wanting to admit it. I say that like the Heat have sucked really. Yeah, I, I mean, well, yeah, they're they're hitting a wall. And, and since since they traded for Iguodala, they're like one and four, or whatever it is. It's something something like weird. And they lost to Cleveland last night. And I do kind of wonder, like, maybe there's a tipping point coming where Butler makes a comment that gets blown up, and then suddenly there's, like, an issue within, and that honeymoon phase comes to an end, and they come crashing down to earth. I, I, I don't I, – I could just see it happening. I don't know. I could just see it happening. And then suddenly – because like we said previously, we believe that the foundation of why they're so good is because the younger players are terrified of Jimmy and like and, like, pissing him off. What if they're so afraid of aggravating him worse that they actually start to like crack under the pressure? Yeah, the moment could be too big. Well, not that it's just like you're trying to win and you're trying to appease the most difficult teammate in the world, purportedly. Well, I, I do so, think that tipping point is is inevitable. I, I do think it's coming. I, well, they, they've proven enough this year where I'm like, you know, I, I respect them. I still hate their fans. I respect the team, um, but I, I I don't I don't know who I take in a seven game series. I think Adebayo can give Embiid a bit of a headache. I think he'd figure him out within like a couple games. But the problem becomes like who guards Jimmy at, on a permanent basis? It, it's got to be Josh, I would think. Yeah, that, that and defensively, Miami's going to play two three. There, there's no reason why they wouldn't have to in a, in a series against Philadelphia. And regardless of how many times Joel Embiid posts up or how efficient he is there, if there's four or five guys in the paint, none of that really matters. Right. And in which, in, in which case, so let's say like, let's say they go 2-3 and they're just blitzing 2-3. I guess then at that point you stick Horford in, in the middle and have him play that like, that like, I guess that, that 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 like operation role where it's like you're throwing him, you're, no, it's it's like a pinball machine kind of thing where, where where you're like passes to the Horford the free throw line then boom right back out to the net to the open guy or turns around pops a mid, a free throw line jumper that that might that might work under under this under the right circumstances the right players on the court around them yeah I I think the real issue for a series with Miami would be your off-ball defenders staying locked in enough where they're not just getting killed with backdoor cuts. Right. I mean, Josh has been getting butchered lately. And I could just see Dragic, Nunn, um, Jimmy to some extent, uh, all those guys, Iguodala, they would be feasting on, on, on this poor help defense and off-ball defense. And – they would just get right in the lane. Then they're, they're, they're forcing desperation fouls, or there's buckets at the rim, 
or it's the defense collapses and they kick to a shooter and then boom, Duncan Robinson hits one. I think that could end up being a problem again with, with the Heat. Now, with Ben Simmons there, your best off ball defender becomes Josh Richardson. And things sort of fall into a place better, but it would be a real problem. It would be a real problem with without Ben Simmons against the Heat because then you have to neutralize Jimmy and without Ben Simmons, I I I, I don't know. I think I think playoff Jimmy's a thing. And I don't know that Josh is, has that in him to like hold off Jimmy Butler for a seven game series. But I guess in a weird way, if you had to pick an opponent, most realistically of all the options out there, you'd probably pick the the, the Heat. I wouldn't want to face the Pacers. No. Well, the Pacers have been struggling lately, but they have a lot of firepower at the guard position. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis is great in the PNR scenario. Miles Turner has bought into his role off the bench. Uh, they're a deep team too. And if they're hot from beyond the arc, the only way you can combat that is being hotter from deep. And Philadelphia really struggles from beyond the arc. Their struggles on the road are at this point mind-boggling. Uh, you don't understand it, but as a Philadelphia 76ers fan, you can only hope for Ben Simmons to return this season. Uh, and if it is ultimately Ben Simmons' decision, whether he do get treatment for his back or, or it, it, it is more of a long-term injury. Um, I, I think he, he deserves to make the decision himself. And, and I don't think that he should be too nearsighted. I think he should also have a far reaching view in that. Okay. If it, if I have to chalk up this season, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, he, and you said, you said it's mind boggling on the road. Here's a stat for you. Horford is shooting. from the field and 30.2% from the three point line on the road at home, 47 and 34. So that's a monumental difference Mm -hmm. there. And then by the way, he's taking more shots on the road than at home. So he's actually on a higher volume shooting way worse. And, on a, with, with, with a team that has like a margin of like like a, like a differential on the road of like, I would say less than five points probably. That's a big flipping deal. That's a pretty big deal. No doubt. <laughs> All right, he is Brock Landis. I am Austin Krell. Brock, do you have any, any closing words for the uh, for the viewers? No, as always, we appreciate you tuning in. Be sure to follow Austin and myself on Twitter, and we're going to be doing this weekly, uh, maybe twice a week. We'll see what we can commit to. But again, Austin, I'm appreciative for the opportunity, and if you listen to me for this long, thank you for tuning in. As always, we appreciate it. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Feed to Embiid. Brock, how old are you? I'm 20 years old. All right, so then you're not old enough for this yet. But if you like shotgunning beer, which I'm sure you like shotgunning some 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 sodas from time to time, maybe a little bit of iced tea because yeah. you're not of age, of course. And there's no way you're you're drinking underage at college. Absolutely. Um, but if you like shotgunning beer, and you want to increase your time at parties, want to impress that girl over there in the in the cute in the, in the cute uh, the cute outfit, check out my boys at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. Also, a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. More information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K. 
for 10% discount on all products. Enter the code, trust the code for 10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. As always, thank you for listening to the feed. We'll be back next time, hopefully with some more W's, a little less gray hair, and Brock has a shirt on.